the National Archives podcast series. This talk is called Setting the Record Straight for the Rights of the Child and is part of our Big Ideas series. It was presented by Professor Sue McKemish, Dr Joanne Evans and Professor Elizabeth Shepherd on the 31st of October 2017 at the National Archives, Kew. Sue and I are really, really pleased uh, to be presenting at this Big Ideas Seminar and indeed to be launching it, um, no pressure. <laughs> um, so a big thank you to Anna uh, for the invitation and Irene for all the organising across the, uh, the time zones and the travel plans. Um, she's been very patient with us. So we're here today to talk about what we think is a pretty big idea, which is tackling the archival and record-keeping dimensions of a grand societal challenge which is namely how to ensure that the systems set up to protect children from abuse and neglect do not themselves cause harm. It's an international issue as the number of inquiries that have taken place around the world, particularly in the last couple of decades, illustrate. You are no doubt aware that you're in the midst of two, the Independent Inquiry into Child Sexual Abuse and the Scottish Child Abuse Inquiry. And our latest, the Royal Commission into Institutional Responses to child sexual abuse is due to hand over its final report on the 15th of December 2017, so about six weeks away. It's rumoured to be about 20 volumes in size. Uh, it will, in the words of Commissioner Andrew Murray, have a lot to say about records and record keeping practices. And so the big question is whether the response to the recommendations from this inquiry will be different to what has happened in the past. Can we individually and collectively rise to the record-keeping challenges? And can we make this the last commission of inquiry into child welfare and protection, which highlights the failings of record-keeping and archival systems? So a bit of background to the Australian situation. Uh, 2017 marks 20 years since the Australian Human Rights Commission handed down the landmark Bringing Them Home report. It shone a spotlight on the laws, the policies, the practices which oversaw the forced removal of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander children from their families, their communities, their culture and their country. And it's documented the individual, collective and ongoing devastating impacts. At a recent conference in Canberra run by SNAKE, which is the national non-government peak body that represents the interests of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander children, I had the privilege of hearing a moving and powerful keynote from Professor Mick Dodson, who was Australia's first Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Social Justice Commissioner and one of the co-authors of the report. In his measured tones, he summed up the devastating purpose of the assimilation policies that drove the removal practices. He said, if you take our children, you take the future of our culture. You just can't sugarcoat that. You also can't sugarcoat the findings in the report on how complex, confusing, distressing, time-consuming and often unsatisfactory the process of finding and gaining access to records has been for members of the stolen generations and their families. Bringing them home makes such a strong case of the importance of record-keeping in meeting identity, memory and accountability needs yet all too damningly also describes the harm our benign, neutral, objective and officious systems can cause. 
and that's summed up by the second objective that underpins the report's records recommendations. Access to records must be made easier and less hurtful. So stories about the difficulties of records access have been repeated in the series of uh, Senate inquiries that have followed. In 2001, The Lost Innocence, writing the record report on child migration. In 2004, The Forgotten Australians report from the Senate inquiry into children in institutional care. And then in 2012, the Commonwealth contribution to former forced adoption policies and practices, which was on the back of a range of state-based parliamentary inquiries into the taking of babies from unmarried mothers against their will. While these reports often give a damning indictment on record-keeping and archiving practices, they also affirm the importance of records, and we would argue of record-keeping, in people's lives. They highlight the role records play in developing and nurturing our physical, emotional, social and economic well-being, as they chronicle what it's like to live without the everyday documents, that witness who we are, that connect us to families, communities and cultures to which we belong, that capture our childhood achievements, our aspirations and our memories and detail interactions with and the workings of the institutions that have a say in our lives. We also learn of the high expectation that people have of record-keeping and archiving systems, that they would foster the creation of complete, accurate, fair, truthful records, that they would hold answers to their questions about their childhoods, explain what happened to their family, fully account for their time in institutional care, that in a system so often stacked against them, they'd be a mechanism for holding individuals, organisations and governments to account and that they would have the rights to fully access what they consider to be their records. So in response to the reports and the apologies that have followed, we've had a range of investments in improved access, long overdue indexing projects, updated finding aids, the funding of specialised support and records access services and the development of the Find and Connect web resource. But as the Records and Record Keeping Practices consultation paper in September 2016 from the current Royal Commission said, problems in access have not been overcome by reforms in response to recommendations of earlier inquiries. The creation and management of accurate records are systemic and enduring problems. For me, for Sue, and for many others who are passionate about records and record keeping, the ongoing failure to meet the identity, memory and accountability needs of those whose childhoods have been impacted by child welfare and protection policies and practices is game and indeed life-changing. It's caused us to question the social constructs, the power differentials, the values and the ethics embedded in existing record-keeping, archiving and research infrastructure and ask ourselves as researchers, as educators, as record-keeping professionals, what can we do about it? We do not believe that the immediate and lifelong record-keeping needs for childhood out-of-home care can be addressed by incremental improvements to existing infrastructure. The problems are systemic. They are of the system. So there is a need to tackle the structures that hold the knottiest parts of the problem in place. Existing infrastructure has been designed for a different age, different values and a different technological paradigm. It puts the rights of the organisations, institutions and governments providing and responsible for child protection and welfare ahead of those of children and their adult selves. It cuts them as the mere subjects of the record and gives them little to no agency in record-keeping processes. 
So we believe the future lies in moving to a participatory record-keeping paradigm, transforming our frameworks, our processes and systems around respecting, representing and enacting multiple rights in records, taking advantages of the affordances in digital and net networking technologies and reimagining, redesigning, rebuilding an integrated child or person-centred record-keeping infrastructure with the experience and expertise of stakeholder communities to the fore. For we are dealing with a wicked problem, a messy, complex, multiple conflicting interdependencies across organisations, institutions and governments filled with uncertainties and ambiguities that defy an easy definitive solution. How do we address them? Not easily, not with traditional responses and not alone. As the, the 2007 report from the Australian Public Service Commission referenced here concludes from examining the literature on wicked policy problems, effectively engaging the full range of stakeholders in the search for solutions is critical. And Jeff Conklin, an early proponent of design system thinking, has emphasised this need for social processes to tackle the social complexity of wicked problems. He writes about the need to create shared understanding about the problem and shared commitment to the possible solutions amongst stakeholders. And he makes the point that shared understanding is not about everyone in absolute agreement, but, and I quote, uh, stakeholders understanding each other's positions well enough to have intelligent dialogue about the different interpretations of the problem and to exercise collective intelligence about how to solve it. The APSC report also canvasses the nature of this engagement so that it goes beyond just providing information to stakeholder communities as part of consulting on already determined decisions. They highlight in particular a set of principles for engagement processes from a 1998 Canadian conference on citizen engagement, um, which was subsequently endorsed by the OECD, namely to, to have an environment in which there's shared agenda setting for all participants, a relaxed time frame for deliberation, an emphasis on value sharing rather than debate, and consultative practices based on inclusiveness, courtesy and respect. So we need all the stakeholders in this wicked problem to come together as a community to set a socio-technical transformation agenda and work towards its realisation in a connected, coordinated and committed way. So I'm very pleased to be here to report on how we've gone about doing that. Uh, through my Australian Research Council Connecting the Disconnected Future Fellowship and with substantive funding from the Faculty of IT at Monash, we were able to bring some key players together to commit to holding a national summit on these issues in May 2017. With giving voice to those whose lives have been affected by the failures of past record keeping and archival systems as a guiding principle, we established the Setting the Record Straight for the Rights of the Child initiative in conjunction with key community advocacy organisations, CLAN, Care Leavers Australasia Network, the Child Migrants Trust, Connecting Home, which is a Stolen Generations Advocacy and Support Service, and the CREATE Foundation, which represents children and young people in statutory care today and also supports uh, younger care leavers. And also the Allied Research Centres, the East Scholarship Research Centre at the University of Melbourne, who run the Find and Connect web resource, and the Collaborative Research Centre in Australian History at Federation University in Australia. Uh, we set the potential outcomes from the summit from early on, uh, as you can see there, a 10-year transformation plan centred on designing and implementing independent lifelong living archives for those who have had or will experience childhood out-of-home care. 
and that turned into a mantra of ensuring that the summit was future-focused. A key concern was that it was time to move beyond just re-describing the problems to imagining and making happen a better future. So that translated into a two-day program. Day one was about listening and learning, and day two was about ideas, reimaginings, and making change happen, which led into a two-part planning the future session. Part one was to develop a shared vision of distributed participatory record-keeping and archiving systems, and part two was about what we needed to do to turn that vision into a reality, including what could be done now under existing um, discretionary powers. And so now I'm going to uh, play a video to show you how it went. <laughs> Most of us who were in care years ago had no idea that a record-keeping system existed. For me, there was just no timeline, and still, like 66, there's no timeline for where I was in care for eight years. Careleaver records are extremely important for careleavers to get a sense of identity, to understand why they were placed into care, to know their correct family name, to know their siblings, to know their parents and to know who do we belong to. You have the problem when you're reading your records, basically the first thing that occurs to you, well, it's not me, I don't know who that person is, but there's all these things written. When so much is taken out of any records, it gives a person a false story, really. Most records that are, are very pres prescriptive, they're not actually personal for children, so that's like if the child you know, is going to school, that the case, they're court orders are being met and it's very much an administrative um, filling in the forms for a department or a bureaucracy. We should receive everything unredacted from records, the good, the bad, the ugly. A young person has the right to be able to have their life documented so that when they grow up they can learn who they are, what their experiences are, have photos so they can look back and remember some fun times and some good times. Without that record keeping being accurate and without them having some say in the records, often it leaves them feeling very um, disenfranchised and it really can impact on their sense of self and their sense of identity. I found that it was often questions like why did I enter care and I couldn't get that information, it was all redacted. <laughs> The Royal Commission into Institutional Responses to Child Sexual Abuse has certainly raised a number of issues about the inadequacy, the inconsistency, even the absence of adequate records. And this has created huge problems. Um, we know now uh, a lot about the importance of keeping those records for the future. There's a great tragedy at the moment across Australia that people, children, adults and even elderly Australians are missing out on a large part of the memory of their own childhood. So things that most Australians would take for granted are having photographs, memories, and for care leavers, often that is denied to them. They just don't have access to the memory of their own lives. I would like to see all children, young people entering in care having a personal journal, a shared journal, a life book. 
some of the things that we're talking about today are a really good start. Systems that children can have input into and can see their whole record. Going forward, we can't, we can't leave it here. We have to continue the network. We have to continue the discussions. As a group, we're probably quite a powerful group if we wanted to collectively do stuff. So if we reframe what's happening, it is essentially a political struggle. And so as well as a communique that needs to come out of the summit, I would say a very, very carefully thought out and constructed political strategy needs to lie behind it. I hope that the outrage that many of us feel in our individual services and states is heard more widely because the situation with records really is outrageous, the redaction and the lack of access to records at the moment. Well, since the summit, it's been uh, great to be in the position to hear feedback about uh, the difference that it, it has made. It's like it has people thinking differently, has people wanting to act differently. And so now it's about harnessing that support and, and building that momentum. The Faculty of IT was instrumental in setting the, the summit up. So I hope what this work will achieve long term is that it will fundamentally change the way that records are kept. And I think there's a real opportunity to do that with advances in technology and I think we've got a great team within the Faculty of IT who want to work with people outside the university to make that happen. Uh, what's next is uh, we've committed to the idea of a national framework for record keeping instead of working in our siloed systems to actually say how do we create a framework that improves the situation for everybody. Young people in care at the moment uh, and those young people who have left care, it's not enough to hear their voices. It has to be that their solutions and that their recommendations are taken on board. We've set a target uh, for 2020 to develop a national framework for record keeping. But I think the time has come because in the end, if we're not there at the creation and we're there at the end, there's nowhere for these records to go. And I think the Australian Society of Archivists should be there helping to promote that. From that, we want the next 10 years to be about implementing that framework, making sure that we make that difference for people who experience childhood out-of-home care, um, that we have the record-keeping and archiving infrastructure that meets their lifelong identity, memory and accountability needs. So, fair to say it exceeded uh, expectations. Um, I was and still am blown away by the outcomes from uh, the Planning the Future sessions and I've watched that video a number of times and, and, and hearing some of the people there talking so passionately about records and record keeping needs. Um, yeah, where despite the complexities, the conflicts and the conundrums, there was such a strong desire to get behind a united strategic and collaborative approach and you heard uh, John Dommett and John um, uh, MacDonald emphasising um, the need for a political um, strategy. And that's been repeated at follow-up events, a workshop in WA uh, organised through um, Philippa White at Chewett Place, a forum, forum in Brisbane and other smaller scale presentations and discussions. Uh, before stepping through the strategic plan, I um, would just like to make mention of some of the elements that I think contributed to the atmosphere and outcomes, picking up on those points about having an inclusive um, place to have this kind of dialogue. 
Uh, we were fortunate to get some additional funding from our faculty for the Imagined Archives project and under the, the direction of Dr Nina Lewis, it enabled the co-curation of a series of installations from the various community perspectives to inspire some creative thinking about the challenges um, around record keeping um, and archiving. And so that they populated the space and enabled people to interact with that all um, during the breaks. It also enabled us to work with Isla and Rhiannon, um, two of the young care leavers you saw in the video there, on the session about their experiences and needs. Uh, essentially, we handed it over to them to program um, with the missing pieces exercises that they developed um, a big hit. Um, it reinforced that not dealing with the problems of past record keeping practices, but the record keeping that is happening today. And a further highlight was the smoking ceremony to end day one. Uh, here we were guided by Lisa and Debbie from Connecting Home, uh, Monash elder in residence, uh, Auntie Diane Zing, and Monash Indigenous Studies Centre colleague, uh, Shannon Falkhead, as to the importance of such a cleansing ritual. Um, and as I think about it, I think of the sense of ceremony, the smell of the smoke, the heartfelt words from the Wurundjeri and Boonwurrung elders on the importance of maintaining connections to family, kin, community, culture and country, as the sun went down, played an important part in the way in which we came together on day two. And last but by no means least, the role Matt McGann played in graphically capturing the event. Uh, this again was a great idea from uh, Shannon and also uh, Lara from Create. It provided a, a great focal point, um, helped to make the stage area a shared space as people would go down in the breaks and talk to Matt about the pictures that he was drawing. And thanks also to the ASA, the Australian Society of Archivists and CARA, the Council of Australasian Archives and Records Authorities who actually provided the funding um, for it. And this tug of war image from day one was a particular favourite. Um, and it, it just asks the question, what do we need to do so that access to records is not perceived in such a way? How do we turn it from a fight over records to rights in records? And a second illustration from Matt's, which you've already seen earlier, I think sums up the collective imaginings about the future. From record keeping about a child or young person in out-of-home care where access is doled out from on high to a more human, a more humane framework in which records are co-created actors and are treated as a person's valuable life record and access is through proactive rather than reactive disclosure. So as I said on the video, since the summit we've been working towards turning all the great ideas about the future and how might work towards it into a strategic plan. So we have the big vision, um, defining a national framework for record keeping for childhood out of home care that applies to the records of yesterday, today and tomorrow and across all jurisdictions. It enlarges on the anticipated uh, record keeping recommendations from the Royal Commission uh, to address the full, it, given that the focus of the Royal Commission is on sexual abuse, to address the full gamut of identity, memory and accountability needs for all those who experience childhood out of home care. Uh, it must be rights-based, so a core element of the National Framework is a unifying rights-based charter for childhood record-keeping, which I'll hand over to Sue shortly to talk about. And uh, with the summit again highlighting the structural inequalities in existing frameworks, where those who need to account for decisions, actions and inaction actually control records creation, management, access and use, there's also a need for an independent record-keeping and rights for the child advocate. And that 
we see that playing out at the macro level to actually oversee the d design and implementation of this national framework and at the micro level to be there to review and monitor decisions made about records access to ensure that they reflect and, and are in the best interests of the child and their adult selves. Realising rights in record keeping requires uh, socio-technical transformation, uh, creating safe and secure keeping places for childhood records through the development of an independent lifelong living archives, reimagining the way that people, processes and technological systems work together in a person-centred, participatory, interoperable network infrastructure that can support those lifelong uh, identity, memory and accountability needs. And as part of that, the network, a network governance model is a crucial part to define the ways in which the different components will seamlessly integrate and to provide holistic oversight and accountability for the network as a whole. So we'd like to define this national framework by 2020 and then to pursue its implementation, monitoring and evaluation over the following decade through to 2030. How do we get there? Well, through an interconnected action and advocacy agenda around themes of historical justice, transi transitioning and young adult needs, child-centred record keeping, underpinned by education and training for immediate coordinated improvements, and a transdisciplinary research and development agenda to identify, progress, support, evaluate and monitor the longer-term transformations that are needed. And as you can see, there's lots of arrows to indicate that there's all sorts of interconnections <laughs> um, there. So now I'm going to hand over to Sue um, to talk about what I think is the linchpin of all this, which is the a rights based charter for childhood record keeping. Here we go. <laughs> Hello, everyone. It's uh, great to be here, uh, and I'm looking forward also to our discussions uh, at the end. So, quite briefly, I want to talk about um, the work that we've been doing in relation to bringing together all of the ideas about rights um, that we've been grappling with as part of this work. And uh, we've tried in this uh, diagram designed by <coughs> Joanne to bring together all of the pieces um, that, are, that are critical to our thinking in terms of a way forward which is rights-based. You'll see in the blue square at the centre this is to focus our minds on what it's all about. It's about children, it's about their well-being, it's about them being safe, which they so often aren't in institutional and other out-of-home care situations. It's about having autonomy, it's about agency, and it's about historical justice for many who have been in care. So on the left-hand yellow side of the slide, we have um, the rights that are so identified with what it is to be human, with human rights and social justice, rights to identity, memory rights, accountability rights, rights that many people take for granted and then a lot of people um, are struggling to um, uh, achieve recognition of their rights in these areas and the um, people that we're working with and the children currently in care are amongst that group. And how do they express that in terms of knowing who you are, saying who you are, knowing where you belong, knowing your family, your community and your country, 
being able to express or practice your culture, religion and language. So uh, a gathering together of key identity rights. In terms of memory rights, the right to, re to remember, the right to be remembered and sometimes controversially, particularly amongst the communities themselves, the right to forget and the right to be forgotten. And finally, in terms of accountability, to hold institutions, people accountable for what has happened, to call people to account. And then on the right-hand side of the diagram, uh, we've brought together information that relates to how does all of that translate into rights in records and rights in archives. And we've gathered them together under participation rights, access rights, rights to privacy and safe record keeping, and proactive disclosure rights. Sometimes a lot of focus is on rights to access records. That's the kind of right that you extend to people who are the subjects of the record. Now we're talking about how do you shift the power balance and introduce agency for the people who have in the past been the captive of the archive. And so to participation rights, to create your own records, your life history, think of this in terms of a child in care. What does implementing that right mean? To decide what can be recorded about you in the organisational system to decide who has access to your records, to intervene in the record through mechanisms like the right of reply, setting the record straight, to determine how long to keep records and in what form. So, when we get to access, the right to lifelong access and to have a say in intergenerational access, to privacy and not to have records of childhood used for other than their original purpose without consent, and there has been no consent in the lives of these children. Safe and secure record keeping processes and systems comes up frequently when you talk to care leavers, and it's, it's very challenging to try to think about what would be the functional requirements for a safe record keeping system. And finally, proactive disclosure rights, which is a huge issue for people who have been in care, to know where records about you are held, to understand the type of information, to know if other people are being given access to those records, to consent to your records being used by others, and to know when and why records about you are destroyed. And in most cases, uh, people who have been in care don't have any say at all in any of those things. They often are not allowed access themselves while the institutions that cared for them give access to researchers, to the records about them. Now just to close off to say that where has all of this come from that we've brought together? First and foremost it's come from the testimonies and stories of care leavers themselves. It's come from the findings and recommendations of the inquiries that Joanne mentioned. Uh, it's come from um, 
research that relates to um, children in care and from the rights instruments. And there's various kinds of rights instruments, but to give you some examples, the UN Charter on the Rights of the Child says that states' parties undertake to respect the right of the child to preserve their identity, and in particular of ethnic, religious or linguistic minorities or persons of indigenous origin to enjoy their own culture, to profess and practice their own religion and to use their own language. Clan, uh, the Care Leavers Association, uh, Australasian Network, um, has a charter of rights to childhood records and we've drawn very heavily on that. There are access principles that were developed relating to find and connect, um, which focus on provision of maximum access possible. All information and core identifying information about close, close family, often closed down, um, mistakenly often under privacy law. Care leavers to annotate records and tell their own story and express their wishes about access. And one that perhaps is a bit daunting to an audience in a place that's called Z National Archives. Government, state or territory records holders are a last resort repository. And the National Standards for Out-of-Home Care, which also focus on um, children being active participants in decision about their childcare and the in, uh, importance of therefore having access to relevant information and record keeping in order to do that. So just a bit of an insight into what we're doing in this area of rights which, as Joanne said, is fundamental to the way forward. Thanks, Sue. Um, yes, so I think in the slide deck we have um, those there which I think we can share with uh, people so you can see how it all comes together. Um, so, conclude with highlighting how the, the setting the record straight for the Rights of the Child initiative is a vital part of the archives and, and the Rights of the Child uh, research program that we have established at Monash through the Records Continuum Research Group. Um, we cannot do this kind of research uh, without being part of the social justice struggles of the communities that are so impacted on by record-keeping systems. Uh, it's a research program. It's something that we're in for the long term, bringing in the power and the privilege that we have as researchers to imagine and realise a better, fairer future. And it's a vital part of continuing to develop the practical and theoretical innovation of records-continuing research in an agenda focused on digital um, equity and inclusion. So in conclusion, um, I was in Ballarat a couple of weeks ago for a research meeting with our colleagues at the Collaborative Research Centre in Australian History at Federation University who are our partners in the Rights and Records by Design Discovery Project. And this included a walking tour of key sites um, which was crafted by PhD student David McGuinness uh, honorary Research Fellow there, Frank Golding, who's the Vice President of CLAN, and Associate Professor Jacqueline Wilson, uh, to show how Ballarat represents a microcosm of child welfare and protection institutions run by a range of powerful religious institutions over 150 years. It's also been the home of a number of Australia's most notorious uh, religious pedophiles, 
with Case Study 28 of the Royal Commission focused on the Catholic Church authorities in Ballarat and it received a bit of worldwide attention um, with uh, Archbishop Pell's um, reluctance to come and testify. Uh, so we ended the tour at Nazareth House for many years, a children's home run by the Sisters of Nazareth and now an aged care facility. Um, and one of the Bishop of Ballarat, Richard Mulkerns, actually gave evidence there um, to the Royal Commission. And at the gates, Jackie spoke to us about the activism of women incarcerated here as children, the struggles that they went through to get their stories of the brutal treatment handed out by the nuns listened to, believed and acted upon. And David pointed out the plaques in the front garden to various bishops of Ballarat and other luminaries of the institution before walking us around to the car park at the side to show us the plaque that had been put up for the children. It can only be described as miserable. Cheap, fake wood from Bunnings, which I gather is making its way to here to the UK, printed, not engraved, and with the rather hollow words. This plaque is in memory of all the children who were residents of Nazareth House from 1889 to 1976. This tree formed an important part of their playtime and their lives. It is an outrage. While we can't fix the past, we do have a choice about what we do in the present. Record-keeping and archival infrastructure can either continue to affirm institutional power as is, or we can work to transform it allow those that have been or could be subjugated to have their say and put their identity, memory and accountability rights to the fore in our systems. It is our choice as to how we will be remembered. Thank you.
um, and to think particularly about how information access and data privacy rights in the legal framework in England, and our framing is England, are enabled or not by record-keeping practices in the present. To look at how information access protocols support citizens' information rights. So the subject access request is a fairly blunt instrument as it stands at the moment. To think about how effective these access mechanisms are in delivering information rights to citizens. And to think how do record-keeping systems and practices impact on the fulfilment or the impediment of citizens' information rights. What role do we have as record-keepers and other information professionals in enabling information rights in public authorities and across the voluntary third sector. And in order to provide some focus, and this is where it intersects with what um, Joanne Sue has been talking about, we're going to focus on the creation and management of records and data specifically relating to children's services and care leavers, held by a multiplicity of different kinds of voluntary and public authorities. So we plan to carry this work out by taking a variety of perspectives on the research questions and issues and looking from uh, four different perspectives, four communities of practice that we believe are most closely concerned with uh, resolving some of these issues. And at the core, we will be talking today to subjects in children's services with a focus on care leavers. But we will also look at and talk to social care and children's care professionals. We will clearly be talking with record keepers and information professionals and information access officers. And we're also interested in the perspectives of academic researchers who want to reuse um, records of uh, care and children's services for future academic research, social and economic research. But these four communities of practice do not share a single perspective. There's a fundamental difference in focus, particularly between the data subjects, the first group, and the other three communities. And I think that's uh, captured by this question. Is it about my records, my life, or is it about institutional compliance, legal and practice regulation? And uh, those perspectives are fundamentally different. So some preliminary work. Um, we did some preliminary work in the summer with Anne Sexton, um, which was funded by UCL Public Policy Grant. And in the summer, we worked with the Care Leavers Association, who've already done quite a lot of work in this kind of area. They supported the Access to Care Records Campaign Group, which is an advocacy group campaigning to reform the rights and needs of information about care leaders' family history and care leaders' time in care, which led to the publication of an important report in 2016 on care leavers and access to social care files. And that report encapsulates a lot of the issues, but nothing much yet has been done to implement them. So this summer, uh, we work with a group of care leavers and with information and social care professionals from one London borough to think about how best to engage with care leavers' rights 
in the development of public and voluntary sector record-keeping protocols. And we sought to identify record-related needs based on the experiences and perspectives of care leaders and to compare these with the experiences and perspectives of information and social work professionals. And it was clear from that small piece of work that there is a need to provide support of different kinds around access to records for care leavers. But care leavers often seek their records later in life, well after the legal cut-off period of age of 25 years, after which the authorities don't have obligations towards them. And in particular, the, the standard subject access request group, which they're obliged to, care leavers are obliged to use to get access to their records, um, is highly off-putting. There are unexplained reductions and gaps. Process is extremely legalistic and unfriendly. We'll be feeding the findings of that study into the, into the new work. Okay, so say a little bit about the new work. So um, this is the bit Andrew's question. Research problems and issues with our collaborators, our research 
collaborators, especially care leavers and representatives of care leaver advocacy organisations. And the centering of the care leavers in the process and privileging their needs whilst acknowledging and seeking to continue to recognise and accommodate the necessary and work needs of the other stakeholders, including social workers and record keepers, is a complex process and one which our co-research process seeks to accommodate. So we began to identify um, collaborators and we'll build on the work with the Care Leaders Association in the summer as research participants and advisors. We're not seeking to be representative, that's just not possible, um, but to have include a, a variety, some diversity, but it can't possibly be representative. Um, and as part of the co-design, we'll hold informal discussions on identifying key questions and objectives from a care perspective. Um, then we will facilitate three workshops with the care leaders group at different stages of the project to direct the research questions and review progress and findings. Um, and towards the end of the project, the idea is to co-produce um, uh, and develop and test record-keeping protocols in this area, which enable the effective, we hope, enable the effective exercise of care leave information rights and support compliant record-keeping and retention, but shifting the perspective much more towards the care leaders. So, that's our plan. Uh, we have literally started last week. Um, we don't have a web page or anything yet, so I've got nothing to point you at, but those are the emails of the four of us who are involved in this project. Um, and obviously, we will gradually uh, communicate with all of you about what we're doing, and also invite your participation, I have made out, at, at various stages in the project. So this is very much something that's beginning, but I hope that it will um, give you a flavour of the things that we can do in an England con in the context of England, and not just say, well, it's happening in Australia and it's all marvellous there, but we're ignoring these kinds of issues. So. This podcast is copyright National Archives, all rights reserved. It is available for reuse under the terms of the Open Government Licence.